Well, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to invite the congregation uh, to turn in your Bible. If you uh, have, want to use the Sanctuary Bible, page 1178, our reading is 2 Timothy 1.5. And we're going to try something new here, which is, let's see if we can do a PowerPoint here from the pulpit. I have a portable keyboard here that's running this whole system. We'll see what happens. So... Uh, I'm going to go back, actually. So one thing I want to say before we begin about Mother's Day is uh, the Bible doesn't really talk about Mother's Day. I think it was created by Hallmark so they could sell more greeting cards. Actually, probably it existed before that, but they sure are making bank on it. Let me tell you, $7 for a card at Safeway. But <clears throat> that's fine. No, they, I don't begrudge anyone's running a business. It's great. But I want to say this, and this is important for us to think about, because Mother's Day is a day which is great to honor mothers, but I want to be thoughtful and mindful that there are many women in this world who want to be mothers or have wanted to be mothers and cannot be mothers. And so uh, we want to be mindful of that. And, um, not all, and also, um, when we talk about mothers on Mother's Day and we talk about fathers on Father's Day, I want to be mindful of people who have lived in a life where their mother hasn't been good to them or their father hasn't been good to them. And it's hard, maybe harder to connect with a message like this today because you say, well, that sounds great that somebody in the scriptures had a good mother or a good father, but that's not my experience. And for that, I would, I, all I can say is if you have had a good mother and a good father, like Ona did, uh, then you are thankful and you praise God for it. And if that is not your circumstance, then God desires to be both your mother and your father and to love you with a mother's love and to love you with a father's love. And he desires that you would become a mothering and fathering figure to somebody else who is younger than you in the faith of Christ so that you could nurture them in the faith. Uh, today, we're going to read about and hear about the faithfulness of one mother in the scriptures. That's basically all we're going to do is we're going to look at one example of one mother in the scriptures. And so I'd like to invite you to turn to um, 2 Timothy 1.5. Okay, I get it. All right. And it reads like this, I have been, and this is Paul writing to Timothy, and our reading goes like this, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and, I am persuaded, now lives in you also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. What I thought we could do today is meet Eunice. I ha, all right, okay, well, we'll get there. So I'd like you to meet Eunice. Uh, and uh, first off, I want to talk about her family. It says here that Eunice's mother, it doesn't exactly say this, but most likely Eunice's mother is Lois. When Paul is talking to Timothy about his mother and grandmother, he probably means his mother and his maternal grandmother. That makes the most sense, but possible that Lois was... Uh, Timothy's mater uh, paternal, uh, paternal grandmother, but I think Lois was Eunice's mother. And so uh, her, her family grew up in a place called Lystra, and there it is on the map right here, and it's near another town called Derbe, and that is in the region of Asia Minor, but in the time of the Bible, it was just simply called Asia. So they kind of compressed that whole continent of Asia to what we now modernly know as Turkey. When they talk about Asia, they're really talking about Asia Minor or Turkey. 
And they were in these two towns, Lystra and Derby, are in Asia Minor in the region called Lyconia. And it seems that Lois and Eunice, her daughter, were living in what we know as a Hellenized Jewish family who lived among Gentiles in the Greek and Roman world. What I mean by Hellenized is that these are Jewish people who traveled out from the diaspora or the dispersion of God's people after the exile or even before the exile to Babylon and settled in the larger world and came under the sway or came under the influence of Greek culture. So they, they spoke Greek, they adopted Greek customs, and in some cases they probably um, stopped being Jewish in a religious sense and probably were more Jewish in a cultural sense. So maybe they would have some Jewish customs and Jewish rituals, but they were not devout Jews like you might find in Israel. They're not the kind of devout Jews that you would find uh, like the Apostle Paul or the Pharisees or the Sadducees or anybody like that. So they were people who were living in a multicultural place, a kind of a uh, cosmopol cosmopolitan place, and they were living between or among two different cultures. Now, how do we know that uh, this was a Hellenized Jewish family? There's two clues that we get when we look at Eunice. For one thing, her name is a Greek name. She's a Jewish woman, but she has a Greek name. And so that would be one clue that she had lived in what we call a Hellenized Jewish family. And her name actually is, if you break it up, the EU is sort of a preface or means good, and Nike is the god of victory or the god of battle and victory. And so her name, Eunice, is, actually means good victory. Isn't that great that you would name your daughter good victory? And actually that's kind of unusual that you would name your daughter good victory. By the way, uh, I know um, our family knows somebody named Eunice. Krista's grandpa used to be in a trio with somebody named Eunice Sunberg, I think. And they, they sang a lot. Does anyone else here know a Eunice? Raise your hand if you know somebody named Eunice. Still alive? Great, okay. So in 1905, Eunice was the 108th most popular name in the United States. That was the peak, okay? <laughs> the last moment we have any records of it that I could find is it was about the 950th most popular name in about 1980. So it's almost like a bell curve in terms of popularity. Before 1905, not that popular. And then between about 1890 and 1930, Eunice kind of had, it's almost like an exact bell curve. It's very interesting statistically how names get distributed. It, but it had its heyday in 1905. Uh, and so Eunice was very popular and it has is simply plummeted. And I doubt if you could, if anyone knows a Eunice who's 20 years old or younger, I'd be amazed. Anyone? Yes? No. No? Nobody knows a Eunice under 20. It's, un, it's not a... But, you know, if you're going to have a daughter, you could, go, you could do a lot worse than this name. Because it's a beautiful name, and it's a biblical name. It's Timothy's mother, a godly woman, and she's the person that we're talking about today. One thing I want to say about her name is it's highly unusual is because, um, there we go, is that at that time and in various cultures, and still today, having a daughter was not a desirable having a daughter was a burden to a family. A daughter meant that you'd have to save up money all her life so that when she finally got married, you could pay the groom's family that money to take her on as a burden. So sons produced income. Sons produced offspring that could inherit the family estate. 
but daughters did not. So daughters were a burden. There's a famous letter, it's called the Oxyrhynchus Papyrus, uh, and it's a letter from a husband to his wife directing her not to raise her baby if it's female, but instead to expose it. And the practice of exposure was that you would take the child that you didn't want, and usually it was a female child, and you would put it out in the world. And if you were, if you lived in a populated area, there were sometimes places where you could put it and you'd be relatively sure that somebody would come and take it and either adopt it, but most likely they would adopt it so that it could become a slave for somebody else. Because nobody's going to put time and effort and money into this child out of the goodness of their heart, except some people do. You can think about that. If you didn't live in a populated area, you would expose this child out in the wilderness and it would be, it would die. And that was somewhat humane, they thought, but it wasn't that humane at all. So here's a letter from Hilarion to his wife, although he calls her sister, but that's not uncommon at that time to call your wife sister. They weren't, bro they weren't brother and sister. And this is what he says, Hilarion to Alice, his sister. Hardiest greetings, falling off the edge, but I'll read it. And to my dear Virus and Apollinarian, know that we are still even now in Alexandria. Do not worry if when all the others return, I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech you to take care of the little child. And as soon as we receive wages, let's see here, I will send them to you. If, good luck to you, you bear an offspring, if it is a male, let it live. If it is a female, expose it. You told Aphrodisias, and, and the, the story now just goes on to some other housekeeping business after he said to have his daughter exposed. You told Aphrodisias, do not forget me. How can I forget you? I beg you, therefore, not to worry. What was going through this mother's mind as she got this letter from her husband? In between all the housekeeping details and greetings to members of her family, her husband's telling her, if you have a girl daughter, if you have a girl child, a daughter, I don't want to see it when I get back. But if you have a son, take care of it, feed it, we'll let it grow. That's why Eunice is actually a remarkable person already because of her name. Would you call your daughter good victory if you had this mindset? You would not. So her parents, the Hellenized Jewish parents, Lois at least, had a value for women and daughters that the rest of their culture did not. So Lois herself stands as probably a very good example, a countercultural example of someone who not only wanted and cherished and loved this daughter that she received, but counted it a victory to get a daughter. Isn't that great? All right. I've been learning a lot about Eunice this week. I'm very excited to share it with you. Can you tell? It's very interesting. I want to talk about, we can meet more about Eunice and hear about her faith. Eunice ha ha had faith of her own. However, it's complicated. It, we find out from reading that Eunice herself probably grew up not very devoutly religious at all. Why? She grew up in a Hellenized Greek family. She had a Greek name. And we found in Acts 16.1, we read that she was married to a Greek. So she married outside her faith. So she had probably just a very nominal Jewish faith. It says, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. So this was a mixed marriage, religiously or culturally even. She was married. Timothy's mother was a Jewish, and, hers, uh, and her mother 
His mother was, uh, sorry, his father was a Greek. If we go on to the next two verses of chapter 16 in Acts, this is the first time Timothy's mentioned in the whole uh, New Testament, Acts 16. Timothy himself was not circumcised. It says, the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Paul circumcised Timothy not, if you read Galatians, not for the reasons why the Galatians wanted new believers to be circumcised, but so that the gospel could be proclaimed in a more uh, receptible way by the Jewish people in that region. And so it was for the sake of the gospel and the spread of the gospel that Timothy consented to being circumcised by Paul, not to keep the law that only Christ can keep for us. So that's important. But nonetheless, we find two facts about Eunice. She was married to a Greek man, and she did not circumcise her son on the eighth day. She was not a devout Jew. We don't know how much she read the scriptures when she was first married, but the, but the picture that this is all painting for us is that she was not a devout Jew. But at some point in her life, she became a believer. She had to have. And now I want to take you back to Acts chapter 2. And it's kind of long, um, but we'll just read it from up there. These are the people who experience Pentecost in Jerusalem. Travelers from all around the known world, including Asia Minor, who hear the disciples speaking in their own language. And it says, utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And here's the part of the Bible that is, is like, if you don't like the pastor, he's going to ask you to read this one on that Sunday because it's going to be really challenging. It's not, it, you just have to practice. The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, remember Asia is Turkey, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. It goes on to talk about other parts of the Roman and Greek world. The closest regions to Lystra and the region of Lyconia, where Lois lives, are Phrygia and Pamphylia, near the end of that list. My sense is that people who traveled home from Pentecost in Jerusalem stopped in Lois's town and proclaimed the gospel. Either that or they went to their hometowns their home regions, and started churches, and those churches planted churches in Lystra. And thus, Lois became a believer at some point in her life when Timothy was quite young. There's a, there's a point of time between when Pentecost took place and when Paul went on his missionary journeys, and that time is probably about the age of Timothy. That makes sense? It's about maybe 20, 30 years between Pentecost and when Paul wrote his letters, went on his missionary journeys. And so we believe that Lois became a believer. I'm sorry, uh, and she became a believer. Eunice became a believer. So now we want to talk about Eunice's godly life. There's more about Eunice that we can learn from what Paul says. Now we go ahead to 2 Timothy 3, 14, where Paul writes this, and this is in the same letter to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, namely your parents and your grandparents. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And the slide doesn't say it, but this is that famous part of the Bible where it says, 
all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This thing that Paul has such high price on, the word of God, he says, you learn this from your mother and your grandmother. So what all this is painting, all this sort of sleuthing work that we're doing here is painting, is that, Ju that Timothy grew up in a religious family, a devout, faithful family, that was immersed in the scriptures, and he learned the scriptures from his youth. And so there's this picture of, it, it almost sounds like Ona's family, doesn't it? It's very interesting how at some point in his life, Timothy's mother got a knock on her door, and somebody said, come to church, and he went to a basement, she went to a basement church, and she became a believer, and she started putting the scriptures in Timothy's hand, and it prepared him all his life for that one day in Acts 16 when Paul came knocking on the door in Lystra. And he said, who's that guy? And they said, that's Timothy. And Paul said, he's coming with me. That kid is coming with me. And if you read further in the New Testament, you find that several of the uh, pastoral epistles and the other epistles, several of them say not just from Paul, but from Paul and Timothy. Either they're co-written by them, or Timothy is what's known as Paul's amanuensis, Paul's scribe. Paul dictates, and Timothy, who evidently was educated, was able to write it. And in other places, Paul sends greetings to Timothy's if, the, if they're apart. And so I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Timothy, this boy who was raised by a faithful woman, Eunice, and a faithful woman, Lois, became one of the most important people in Paul's ministry, and Paul himself probably being one of the most important people, you could easily argue, one of the most important people in the New Testament. It's an interesting thought exercise to say, what would our New Testament look like without Paul? Ugh, it'd be challenging. We, I think we would still have everything we need, but without Paul, there'd be a lot more work for us. Praise God that God raised Paul up, and that when Paul came knocking on the door, he found already prepared a young Timothy who had been trained in the scriptures all his life by his mother. So, uh, this is so slow, but I love it. Uh, so, yeah, okay, then this is more about how he came and found, he came and found, uh, we already did this, I, I'll, I'll skip ahead here. One more, one more. So, I kind of riffed off there, now I've got to find my place again. I want to talk about one thing that Paul says about Timothy, and I think it's a reflection of Lois, is there's this one word that says uh, in our reading that you have a sincere faith. I like this. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, I thank God for your sincere faith. And the Greek word for sincere is, there's the Greek writing, and if you were, if you were in the fraternity or sorority in college, you had to memorize all the Greek letters, but that's anu anipokritos. The an at the beginning is a negation, so it means not hypocritos. Hypocritos or hypocritos means hypocritical, or that's actually the name that you would give to an actor. An actor was a hypocrite. Actually, that was the title. They weren't actors. They were hypocrites because they played a part that wasn't authentic. It wasn't real. It was just put on for show, but this is not hypocritical. So Paul says Timothy's faith is not hypocritical. It's genuine. It's sincere, it's unfeigned, it's unhypocritical. 
This is the kind of faith that God is looking for. This is the kind of faith that was fostered in Timothy because of his mother and because of his upbringing. So, where are we? Oh, okay. Not too many more slides, but listen. What can we say about Eunice? That was what this was. One woman in the Bible, a mother on Mother's Day, we're talking about what she did. She was a loved and cherished and wanted daughter, good victory, raised by a godly mother, Lois. She raised her son, Timothy, in a cross-cultural environment. I think that actually prepared him to be Paul's companion, too. His father was a Greek. His mother was Jewish. He was perfectly positioned to be one of the companions of the first missionaries who went out into the world. When she became a believer, she committed herself to the word, and she put the word into Timothy's heart. She stayed committed to her own mother, as Timothy also spent time with Lois hearing the word. And so when, when Eunice became a Christian, she didn't part from her mother, and maybe Lois became a Christian first, and then Eunice, or Eunice, and then Lois, we don't know. But in the course of that family coming to faith, they did not split apart, but they stayed together. Grandson, mother, and grandmother all together studying the scriptures together. Her son went on to become one of the Apostle Paul's most trusted companions and fellow laborers in the early church. Praise God for Eunice. And so like I say, if you have a daughter or a granddaughter, if you want to whisper in the ear of a daughter, who's a son or a daughter who's going to have a, a child, you could go, Eunice is not a bad name, you know. Although, you know, we're, we're sensitive to these things because you wonder if it's such a strange name, could Kids are like, I don't want a strange name. Well, maybe it could make a comeback. I think it should. How do we respond today in light of this testimony about such a great woman? Here's a few things I think that we can do. One is we value daughters. Not everybody's blessed to have children, and not everybody who has children are blessed to have daughters. Daughters are a blessing. They are just as much a blessing as sons. And I think we need to reflect that both from the scripture, but also as ourselves. And I know there's cultures that value sons more. Maybe there's cultures, cultures that value daughters more. I think our culture, we want to reflect scripture and say, a daughter is a good victory. A son is a good thing. It's all a blessing from the Lord, whether you have a daughter or a son or any children at all. We also trust in the power of putting the word into our children's hearts. Look what it did for Timothy. Look what Lois did for Timothy. And we know that God will do amazing things in and through our children because the word goes into their hearts. And I wish I could be speaking to our Sunday school teachers right now, but they're laboring with our children at this minute, putting God's word into their heart. God bless them. And so I really hope you come on June 4th to our teacher appreciation potluck because we really want to value what they are doing. But it's not just Sunday school teachers. It's parents and grandparents and mentors of all kinds who can invest in children and put God's word in their heart. Even if we don't have children of our own, I mentioned earlier on that not everybody who wants to have children is able to have children. But even if that is the case, God may put in our lives people younger than us in the faith who can become our spiritual children and they can receive the word of God through us. This was Paul's relationship with Timothy. If you read the rest of Paul's letters, you find that it's very unlikely that Paul was married. In fact, he says he wasn't. Pretty unlikely that he had any biological children of his own. But he regarded Timothy as his son. 
This is how this very letter opened. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, and that is possible too in the larger family that we have when we become followers of Jesus. And so I'd like to end there, is that this is a letter that you could write to your own child, but if you don't have children, this is a letter you could write to somebody else that you have mentored and put the scriptures in all your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the godly example of Eunice and Lois. Thank you for the ministry of Timothy, both to St. Paul and with St. Paul. And we thank you for our mothers this day. Amen.